Hi and welcome. My name is Josh Stone and welcome to another episode of the Ignite podcast. The Ignite podcast is dedicated purely to the engineering and construction industry. Join me as I interview serious change makers, leaders and business owners who are creating significant shifts in the industry, leading inspired teams, running successful businesses and in general making big things happen. As the old saying goes, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. This podcast is all about bringing like-minded change makers, leaders, and business owners in the engineering and construction industry together to share their stories, their strategies, their ideas, and their mindset on what's working for them right now in order to help you learn from the best, to implement, and to grow as well. Now, if you'd like some help growing yourself, your team, or your business even faster, head over to my website www.coachignite.com for more resources or book in a call and we'll map out a plan together for you to move forward with confidence. In the meantime, hit the subscribe button so you get notified about future episodes. Sit back, relax and enjoy the episode. Well, hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Ignite podcast. Today I'm joined by Ben Hutt. Mate, welcome to the call. Good afternoon, Josh. Thanks for having me. Easy. Mate, like always, I'll hand over to you, maybe just share a bit about you, your business, you know, your journey to date and anything else you feel like sharing for the listeners and viewers. Yeah, sure. So currently I'm CEO and Managing Director for a business called Evergen that I didn't start, but I, I have, I guess, reconstructed in the way that I, I would have done it if I had started it. And so that's kind of interesting. And I think before that, if I start from the beginning, psychologist as an undergrad, but I'm old enough that I was kind of like let loose into the world of management consulting in Europe and North America just at the dawn of the internet. So I spent like five years working with big companies all around Europe and North America, kind of dealing with internet-driven innovation, right? So things like call centers rather than going to a bank. Like it seems like old now and offshoring, like it seems like it was kind of, it was really innovative at the time. So I think like my whole life, spent kind of some time building companies in England and then came here, planned to be an entrepreneur, but ended up not having a visa. So I did an MBA and then went to work for some consultants again and then went to Macquarie for six years and then really spent the last 10 years building digital companies. So five years building a big recruitment marketplace that was pretty successful, but ultimately didn't work from a financial point of view. Like we ended up listing and then it kind of all, all fell apart for the wrong reasons, which was very sad for me and for, for everyone else involved. But we did launch companies in three continents and thousands and thousands of customers. And so there was a lot of success along the way to failure. And I then was lucky enough to spend three years helping some of Australia's best entrepreneurs build companies. So I, I was working in a company called Slingshot Accelerator who used to run innovation and acceleration programs for big corporates, including like Qantas and Caltex and News Corp and Lion. So during the three years, I ran 13 of those programs, saw six and a half thousand startups pitch, got to work with and lead investments in about 200 of them and, and kind of developed, I guess I grieved for my, my big, big kind of bonfire, if you want, by helping other people be more successful. And I got pretty good at fixing business models and picking teams. And that's how I ended up with the opportunity to kind of re reinvent Evergen back in 2019, which we've now done. And fingers crossed, like we're, it's working, it's all good. So yeah, so here I am, learned a lot, failed more than I've succeeded, but I think the, 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 the learning is in the failure. 
So we're, we're getting better every day. Mate, unreal. I don't even know where to start. Like that's an unreal journey so far. I mean, I'm probably most, I mean, there's, yeah, there's so much I want to ask you, but I guess I'm probably most curious about your most recent, like, you know, it's interesting where the sum total of all of our experiences to date, right? And like, you know, there's this, you know, this age old thing, which is just, you just start, you start taking action, you learn as you go and you don't look at things as, as failures, they're lessons and you, you know, you skills stack, right? So, you know, you're learning stuff the whole way along and, you know, people starting out kind of feel like they're going along quite slowly. And then as those skills start to stack, you get that sort of exponential growth and that trajectory into, you know, where you are now. So I'm kind of curious about, like the the Evergen side of things, like how did you get to be running that business? Like what happened? If you can, if you can talk about yeah, it and, right. and yeah, the, sure. the journey from there. Yeah, so so back when I was in kind of accelerator land at Slingshot, I, I helped. I worked very closely with lots of really good founders and and therefore their investors and people behind the businesses. And I was like just someone who I'm generally super helpful. So there's a thing in startup communities, which I think should be relevant in, in life in general, which is you should give before you get, right? So if, if you can help someone, make a contribution if you can, don't ask for anything in return, you know, whether you believe in karma or, or whatever. Like, so I was just kind of grieving for my own very public failure by helping other people. And that led to me fixing a whole bunch of startups for people. And then I used to get phone calls from founders or occasionally disgruntled shareholders saying, hey, you know, I've got this thing. It's not quite working. Like, can we have lunch? And one of those lunches was with the chairman of Evergen, senior guy, AMP Capital. And they'd founded Evergen back in 2016 together with CSIRO. Okay. Really, as an innovation as to answer, like, really, the goal was to, to answer the question, which is like, well, what happens at the edge of the electricity grid as people install solar and battery? Like, really, like, how, if, if we all kind of believe that coal-fired power stations should die and will die, like, how does the decentralized grid work? Like, how, and, and that was the sort of the experiment. And it started with, some maths developed in CSIRO and a, and a fundamental thesis that kind of batteries would be important and that homes would end up having batteries. And so you kind of started out optimizing home batteries against time of use energy tariffs was really how it started. And they started by building a business that sold and installed solar and battery systems because at the time there weren't many batteries in Australia. So the obvious sort of solution to that was, well, let's start a business selling batteries. Yeah. And But by the time I got involved, like I, I could... I, at the time, I didn't really know anything about the energy transformation, which seems crazy now because I feel like I'm very involved in it now. Yeah. But it seemed obvious to me with my background in software that pretty much everything that's manufactured these days is connected to the internet. Right? We live in the era of the internet of things where literally like my fridge is connected. I've got a Google device in every single room. like a basic my, And so it kind of makes sense that you could connect things using the internet and then change the way they behave to suit the way the energy system works. So like at lunchtime in summer, when there's heaps of electricity, like we should be doing a lot more with that electricity. Like yeah. we, sh we, shouldn't, we shouldn't be saying we've got too much solar at lunchtime. Like that's crazy. It's not, they're electrons, like they're usable. We just need to shift when they get used. Like, so I could see that there was like this great big opportunity to kind of create like an internet of energy. And I was lucky that 
the shareholders in Everton kind of believed me enough to give me a give me a chance. And so I, I kind of came in and had the, the great privilege to hire a team, change the business model, start building software, which is what I know how to do. And, and so we've hired like the best team I've ever seen in startups. And I've, I've worked with lots and lots of startups. And I, I don't say that lightly, but when I took the job, I started phoning all of the best people I'd ever worked with and just basically begging them to come and get on this. <laughs> like, let's let's blow up coal-fired power stations together. And everyone's like, yeah, let's do that. So we've got this kind of real purpose that is literally our mission, company mission stated in big lights is to blow up coal-fired power stations around the world, not in the physical sense, but just by getting control and making renewable energy useful enough and enabling decentralized grids. That's really what we do. So we're now, I guess, about 65 people strong, customers in five countries, projects on the go in 11. And yep. we've just started hiring like business development people in Europe, in Latin America. I'm off to the US in two weeks to a global political kind of global political conference around the energy transition and how to make it go faster. Somehow got invited to represent like Team Australia, because Evergen is like one of the most innovative companies on the planet in our space. So like all of these things really? really sounds awesome in very hard. And not just for me, but like we have a team of amazing humans who are all very good at specific things. So I kind of live in a world where it's useful to understand lots of things, but if you can just be good at one or two, and if you can build a team of people who play to their strengths and the things that they're uniquely good at, then then you can get much more done than if you've got people trying to do lots of different things. Anyway. Mate. Again, so much in that in terms of where I want to take the conversation. But I guess to start, I'm curious about like your like your brain, like your psychology, like the way that you think in terms of like, you know, you're approached by the, the gentleman from Evergen, you know, things weren't, not that they weren't going so well, but the when, when you look at those sort of problems, like what, was it just because you've looked at that many startups and seen that many opportunities that your brain kind of automatically goes there? Like, how do you think that, like, what was the thought process for you to go from you not knowing that world at all to being able to pitch to the, to the board to go, I think we should go in this direction and they believed you? It's a good question. I guess my my first thesis with everything, and the reason I studied psychology at uni is that like people make the world go around. And so like we're we're eight billion people around the world now. And I think so I've got lots of kids. So I've got three kids of my own and my wife's got three daughters. So between us we've got six daughters. So we think a lot about like what the world's gonna be like when they grow up. Yep. Eldest 18, youngest nine. And so I think when I was asked to look at Evergen, I'm like, I went through the data room and then I spent the weekend watching YouTube clips and TED talks and, and wondering like, what was the future of energy and like, what was the future of the planet? And there, there was a lot of evidence at the time that climate change was irreversible and the planet was becoming uninhabitable and that energy was the, like one of the three biggest global contributors. So it had to change. And so, I'm a kind of an optimist. If I wasn't, I wouldn't be an entrepreneur. But the optimist in me said, well, look, it's pretty obvious to me that this needs to change. And it's kind of pretty obvious to me in like a somewhat ambiguous way, but it's like inevitable 
that if you look out 10 years, it's inevitable that like every home in Australia, as an example, will have rooftop solar and a large proportion of them will have batteries. And so the markets and the regulations have to evolve to enable that. So although the regulations are a bit behind and the markets are a bit behind and there's loads of politics and there's loads of like embedded capital that's kind of slowing things down. Yep. It's kind of inevitable that we'll get there somehow. And so I was able to just go, well, look, if, if we if we think we're going to get there, then that's a big, bold vision. Let's just start building and let's get involved in the transition. And now we're in a position where we get to try and inform regulatory evolution. Like one of the reasons I'm going to the US in a couple of weeks is because Australia, we have a uniquely complicated energy system like different markets we've got two grids in australia like western western australia is a different country from an electricity point of view to the eastern side of the country different really? rules different markets different people involved and so like what we do works really well on the eastern seaboard but like it needs to be slightly different in western australia slightly different in new zealand slightly different in spain slightly different in portugal so kind of and again that's one of the reasons why software is so so awesome is like we can easily change the way that algorithms work to deal with local markets so i kind of when i'm trying to simplify what evergen is i'm like well if you imagine that it's ice cream and it's just like really complicated ice cream that makes <laughs> homes or batteries or solar farms do different things like so you've got a flavor of ice cream for solar farms flavor of ice cream for my house flavor of ice cream for a shopping center with a battery like we can just keep keep making slightly different flavors for different countries and that's kind of where we're at now is like we've learned enough in australia that the kind of world is looking to us to help them decarbonize their electricity systems we're seeing tremendous global political pressure around energy at the moment because of the war in Ukraine and because the, the weather in, in northern, the Northern Hemisphere has been so dry this summer that the nuclear power plants have had to be shut down because there's not enough water to cool them. Like it's kind of like this perfect right. storm of everyone realizing that actually energy is finite and very difficult and it's become extremely expensive. And so in many ways, it's been very helpful because it brings into focus the need to be a bit more self-sufficient, be a bit more independent, innovate, invest in the future. And so, I don't know, but it all comes back to people. And I think people now around the world get it, that they're exposed, their energy bills are going up and they need to yeah. take action. And the first thing people do is they say, well, I don't trust the existing energy system. So I want to be independent. So I'm going to get solar, I'm going to get a battery and I'm going to try and spend as little money as possible. And that's kind of one of the many flavors of ice cream that Evergen's well positioned to help with yeah unreal and so like it sounds like and i talk to my clients a lot about this in terms of having like a really strong like i call it your north star in terms of like a guiding light that is your your vision what are, what are you here to create like what's important to you and a lot of the times you're going out into the you know for want of a better term the darkness of the night kind of thing like you're pushing ahead you're for, you you can see something in terms of something that's really important to you and this is sort of touching on you know passion and purpose piece something that's really important to you and then you slowly start to build a following you get people excited about it and but it's really that sort of that cultural change and cultural shift that I guess that's the journey you're on in terms of educating people but also getting people on board with your vision and your north star as opposed to the one that you know that, that they've been they've, they've been living for the last 10 15 20 30 years around you know from the coal point of view so how do you go about that process? Like, is that like a, 
you know, you just get really excited and you, you try and sort of embed that excitement in others? Or is it like, what's your process for kind of bringing people along the journey? Well, uh, that's, a good, that's a good question. I mean, like we, we formed Evergen's mission having 25 people in a room three and a half years ago. And then we basically just started trying to talk about like what would be a good reason to get out of bed every day. Like if you yep. were going to go and try and innovate around energy and we knew that was going to be hard, like what would be something that everyone in the room could unite around? And, and, we, and it's funny because Evergen was founded in Newcastle, which is the world's largest export of coal port, right? So we see from our office, we see coal ships going in and out every day. And so it seemed like if there was something that shouldn't really exist anymore, that was like a real symbol of pollution and of the old world, then it's a coal-fired power station. Yep. So we just all agreed that, well, let's, let's agree to try and destroy them. And at the time... I actually got the maths a bit wrong on, like I was Googling on my phone. I'm like, oh, how, how many megawatts does an average coal-fired power station produce? And I, I basically got, I was wrong by a factor of 10. So like I got, Whoops. like I said, yeah. And so so we we actually sort of thought, well, if we get to this number, we've killed the coal-fired power station. In reality, the number was 10 times as big as we thought it were. And so, I mean, if we'd known that, would we have changed it? Probably not. But anyway, we're now at a point where, we control enough energy in Australia that we're about halfway towards killing a coal-fired power station, at least in terms of the amount of energy we, we've measurably got control of. No. But but the rest of the world likes killing them as well. I mean, it's been interesting this year, like Germany's had to turn a coal-fired power station back on because they can't get enough gas from Russia. So it's not a one-way shift away from, no. away from these things. But I think, like, I'm pretty old now, so I'm 45. I mean, all these children. It's not old. I personally <laughs> find it very motivating going to work every day, knowing that I'm trying to do something difficult, but also meaningful if, if we get it right. And like what's been great the last year in particular is that like people in parts of the world that previously denied climate change are now finding it very difficult to, to deny climate change. So there's this natural momentum being reached and it really is a kind of a global issue. So I've spent a fair bit of time with people like the World Energy Council, and we were lucky to be involved in a in a TV series that the World Energy Council and the BBC produced a couple of years ago, which was designed to try and humanise this energy transition. And they did yeah. 20 short films from all around the world, all different sorts of technology and entrepreneurs trying to solve different bits of the problem. And, and the kind of the point of the story was, look, the transition in Australia will be different to the transition in Bangladesh. Yeah, but we all need to transition and you, you can't just have the wealthy countries telling the developing nations to stop burning fossil fuels and, and miss out on that economic development. Like that's not fair. So there has to be a just transition as well as a rapid transition. And I think just being part of that movement is, is amazing. And we, we get people from all around the world write to us, sometimes just write to me personally, and say, hey, love the mission. Like, can I get on board? Yeah, right. Like, some something like that is 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 kind of cool. So I think we're definitely doing something right, mate. So good. I want to talk to you now about doing hard things. Like you've talked, you said a couple of times that it's, you know, what you're doing is going against the grain. It's not, it's not something that, and like all good things are born out of doing hard things, right? Like what. What's your process there? Like how important is it to, for you to do hard things and how do you view doing hard things? 
Well, I, I think life is full of hard things and you can choose to avoid them. But if you do, you're gonna, your life's not going to be as rewarding and as interesting as if you choose to tackle things head on. So I've been known to do stupid things to prove that they can be done. So like yeah. once upon a time at a dinner party, we were talking about things we, we wanted to do in our lives as, as children. And like now we sort of had, had children our, ourselves, would we ever do them? And, and one of the things that I said, I grew up in England sailing a lot. And yeah, I used to see newspaper photos of like the, the big chunky bald guy with a swimming cap on covered in like Vaseline who just swam the English Channel in like a local paper when eating fish and chips. And this was like a local hero. And I always sort of thought how cool it was that like, that was the extent of their celebration. Like there's no prize, there's no medal. There's just like a, you get, anyway. So I sort of said, well, you know, I, I always wanted to swim the English Channel and everyone that I was at dinner with were like, nah, never do that. Not possible. No, just like, and the next day I sort of fested for a little bit. And within two weeks, I met five people in Australia who'd swum the English Channel. Right. And like four of them were very, very good swimmers. And I wasn't a very good swimmer. And the last one I met was like this crazy kind of late fifties, slightly odd human who just was incredibly determined and, and very motivated and, and smart about how he approached the challenge. So he approached the challenge obviously differently to the fast swimmers. Cause for him, it was a challenge of like, well, I need to stay in the water for 20 hours. So I approached it differently. And I just remember thinking, well, if he can do it, then, then I can do it. Yeah. So I set out on this challenge raised as it turns out quite a lot of money for charity because no one believed I could do it. It took me four, <laughs> four years of training, but we raised $50,000 for charity and well done, mate. did, did end up being, I think like the 1500th person ever to swim the channel by myself. And it wasn't like an achievement. You don't stand there going, yeah, I made it. It's more like, Oh, thank God I can stop training. And that, and that was the <laughs> end of that. But it did turn out that that's five times as many people have climbed Everest by themselves. So it's, it's kind of unusual. And I, and I think, knowing that I could do that, like you could do anything. Like if you can survive face down in 12 degree water for 13 hours or 20 hours or however long it takes you, like you can pretty much do anything because it's just a f function of staying alive. How long did that take? took me 13 hours, four years and 13 hours. I think that's how I talk about <laughs> four it. Four years and 13 hours. Um, but I guess my point is like, and in building companies, like you, whether you're building a startup or you're building a, construction business or like whatever you're doing is like you always start and along the way like it's never a progression like everyone draws a kind of a nice ski jump when they're drawing their projections for how business is going to go never goes like that it's more like it tends to go like in circles where you have moments of greatness and then you have some struggle and like life's like that and I think as you get older I think you realize that like tenacity is at least as important as every other quality you have because yeah. nothing nothing is ever easy the first time and if it is then it's going to be done by lots of people so it's not going to remain valuable yeah. so i think those of us and people sort of people i work with we embrace challenges because it's kind of stimulating and it's interesting but we also know that if we succeed things will be think the effort will have been worth it yeah yeah and do you think there's an element of like kind of training yourself to be okay doing hard things. Like the more you kind of prove to yourself that I'm going to go and do 
this hard thing, try and feed this channel, submit in 13 hours. The more that you sort of, then you get on the other side of that and you go, oh, wow, like, look what I just did. Like, like I'm the type of person that does hard things. Do you think there's that you're building that muscle, so to speak, around getting better at approaching hard things and living in uncertainty as opposed to, you know, and, and so again, come back to my coaching clients. One of the biggest things that I think stops people from, doing hard things is the fact they don't know if it's going to come, you know, if it's going to pay off, is it going to, are they going to fail? Are people going to laugh at them or, you know, call them stupid or all those sorts of things. And the more they tell themselves those stories, the less likely they are to take that action. Do you think though, that the more you do hard things and you prove to yourself that you're the type of person that gets out of sort of their comfort zone, that becomes easier? Well, I, I think, I think it does, but it doesn't guarantee success. No. So I think it's really about adopting good practices that don't just improve your chance of success, but they give you a sense of making progress. So things like, I don't know, great book, Atomic Habits, written by a guy called James Clear. It's all about repetition and taking small steps in the same direction and just just developing some rituals about like kind of getting stuff done and being effective. I think... I, I, personal story, like when I got given the opportunity to, 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 to take Evergen to where it had the potential to go, I, I was deeply concerned about failure because I just basically spent five years building a company that ended up not succeeding. And every, although we had 170 staff, lots of shareholders, it was a public company and everyone lost everything, yeah. including me. Very humbling thing to happen. And I think... So when offered the opportunity to take over a, another company and be a CEO again, my initial reaction was to say no, because the company was broken. Like I, my whole engagement, I just found that there were seven reasons it would never work. And then to be given the opportunity to, to like take that over, I'm, my whole thing was, well, no, surely if I'm going to run another company again, I should run one that maybe could succeed. So I stand some chance of succeeding because if I fail twice, I'm never going to be given a third chance. And that was my default position. Yeah. And it was only because a friend of mine who knew me and had known me for 10 years or more said, no, come on, like, you got this. Like, you know what the seven things are. It's like knowing there's a monster under the bed. Like, if you don't have the courage to look under the bed and see how big the monster is, then you've already failed. So I'm quite good at, like, confronting what's wrong and then going, all right, well, let's, what order should we do these things in? And, and then just nibble away. And I think the nibbling away and just making incremental progress gives you strength because you know you're getting there. And I think the swimming was a really good metaphor for this, where it's like when you're swimming for what might be 10 hours and might be 20 hours, like you just don't know because the tide and the wind and things change and, like, there's so many uncertainties that my amazing coach used to just say, look, it's just like one stroke at a time. And it really is. And then it, you go build it up and you go, all right, well, what's the next unit of progress on a swim? It's 30 minute increments for how frequently you get fed. So you just start trying to get from one feed to the next. And it's a bit like, I don't know, if you're going up Everest, you get from camp to camp. And so I think you can break down achieving any really complex, big, audacious goal into a series of milestones and what we do at evergen and what i encourage every company i work with to do no matter how big or small is you just set big bold ambitious goals but then you you, you break things down so we set quarterly goals so we we yep. implement religiously google's framework of objectives and key results where you have kind of a quarterly goal for the company you might have an, an annual goal for the company as well but it's like what does good look like 
And then you organize everything with quarterly goals that are really ambitious. They're like the big, bold, audacious goals that you'd be amazed if you get to. Yeah. Uh, and then and then you run like weekly sprints. And so every week, everyone in the company knows what they're doing and what it's going to contribute to. And by, again, breaking things down into smaller chunks, you make a lot more progress than if you worry about where you've got to be in three months or where you've got to be in a year. Like a year is a long time. Yeah. And as we've seen over the last two years, which have been like historically unusual, if you think about all the disruptions we've had, like yeah. you, if you weren't agile and flexible about how, what you were going to do and how you were going to get things done, like you, it would have been a nightmare. And I know it has been a nightmare for lots of people. So just be flexible and nibble away at these big problems, I reckon. Yeah. And I think the big thing too is, I mean, I always look for takeaways from these discussions, which is just just start, like know where you're kind of going, but kind of break it down, like you said, into nibble or bite-sized chunks, but also like just start. And, and you know, there's all there's so many sayings out there, but it's like through through action comes clarity or something like that. So it's only, you can have the best strategy in the world and, you know, kind of have it all whiteboarded out. But until you start to take action towards those things, you don't know how it's going to be received by the market. You don't know something might be broken. It might not quite work how you thought it was going to. So you get a lot of clarity through taking action and just kind of moving forward. Baby steps. Yeah. And I think that's, you've just set something up really nice, which I think people often overlook, which is that you, you can, you can constantly test and learn. Like, like we in building startups, we used to teach this like, philosophy of micro testing and validation so in business like we always have hypotheses or assumptions that we make about what customers are going to buy or how much they'll pay like all of these things and quite often people get far too far down the line of commitment in building a product or in doing something whereas if you just tested a lot earlier in a scientific way where you're really diligent and disciplined with yourself so and you put rules around it then it can be really useful not just to validate what you think so you know you're right, but it can also inform where you're wrong because one of the biggest problems we have as entrepreneurs is quite often you don't stop doing things you should stop doing because you're tenacious, right? So the whole thing is like quite often we should stop doing something, either stop an initiative or kill a product or shut down part of a company or whatever it is. But but because we're optimistic, we we quite often we prolong these things longer than we should. Yeah. So one piece of advice I would give people is to really, really test in a disciplined way whether whether the, the problem you're solving is valuable enough to solve, whether customers will pay what you think they'll pay to solve the problem before you get too committed. Because one of the, the biggest mistakes I ever made in any company was, was in the, the big recruitment software platform that we built where we assumed that recruiters and and hirers would be motivated enough to adopt a new way of doing things if it could be quicker and easier and and, and less expensive. Yep. And I, st- I still believe it to be true, but it's not the sort of commitment that people have when they're ordering an Uber. And and you know that yep. like ordering a taxi, like the taxi driver is motivated, the, the Uber driver is motivated and the rider, you you want it to come to you right now. Like that, that sort of like I'm committed that commitment in that transaction is is lacking in a hiring process because people have always got more than one channel. And I think we, particularly me, probably underestimated how hard that particular fact was going to make it in scaling 
a product that was like a digital only product and no one else has done it since so like we didn't like we weren't <laughs> we, we so i don't know i just think yeah get get really disciplined about testing your assumptions before yep. you spend too much time on things because the more time you spend on things the more kind of the sunk cost fallacy takes play and you're then more committed because you spend more time on it and i think these oh, things no, yeah can can be painful and the more the ego kicks in so you're like no nah, it's going to work just one more month just one more month no nah, it's going to work so it's being able to step back and be quite objective about that sort of if it's your baby or your brainchild and most business owners are really invested in their businesses obviously so it's been able to step back objectively and like you said critically assess stuff cut stuff stop stuff quickly before it gets away from you yeah agreed mate the future like the next sort of five years what do you see happening particularly with evergen and you as well yeah it's a, it's a good question i i think we're really lucky to be working on what we're working on because we are at the beginning of an inevitable kind of 10 to 20 year transition in the energy system that will be not just a an australian thing like it is a global problem with global solutions so we're building out versions of evergen in in different countries and parts of europe latin america going to the north america in a couple of weeks we've got stuff on in the uk so we've got this beautiful opportunity to try and deploy australian technology and help people around the world so i'm going to be heavily focused on that and i think that's good because it's purposeful but it's difficult. And I think one of the things I'm looking forward to is being able to do that without having to get on a plane every month, which is what I did last time. I tried to take an Australian business elsewhere in the world because yep. I'm, I'm too old. I don't want to do that again. So I'm, I'm grateful for COVID in the sense of I'm grateful for the fact that we can do things like this now without exactly. being in a studio together. And I can talk to people in Chile in the morning and it's just like having them in the same room. So I'm grateful for that opportunity. And yeah, I'm just like, I'm excited about life. Happy, healthy, purposeful, helpful. Like, I don't know, life's pretty good. Any plans to swim the English Channel again? No. People often ask me that. And it's funny, at the time when I, I did it, like a lot of my friends were long distance swimmers and stuff. And a lot of them went on to do what's called the Ocean Seven, which is like the seven most treacherous long distance marathon swims all around the world. And I kind of registered for a couple of them and I sort of said, oh, you know, maybe I'll, I'll do them over the next 10 years. And then I, I got really busy. But the truth is, I just could, can't bear swimming up and down a pool <laughs> anymore. Yeah. Like I did, I did, I was doing like six kilometers a day in a pool, six days a week for like four years. Man, it's boring. I solved, I found that. The, the meditative aspects of that kind of exercise are really good for solving problems. Though. So it's, it's like, but I, I think I do other things now where I have a bit more fun. It doesn't involve being face down in the water, but I'm, <laughs> no, I do like staying fit and healthy. Do love a bit of a challenge back into surfing and getting in the ocean. I think that's very good, but yeah, no more black lines for me. Thank you. Good, mate. Good to hear. Mate, last question. So, Obviously, you're the sum total of all of your experiences to date, failures, lessons, learnings, you know, wins, all that sort of thing. If you had the opportunity to sit down with a 10-year younger version of yourself and sort of impart some wisdom on, on yourself based on everything that you've learned in the last 10 years, like what would, what would that be? Oh, that's a big question. 
I've said a couple of them already, which is like don't don't assume that you're right, even if you think it's obvious that you're right. And that was yep. like the, the the big the big mistake we made in in search party was just assuming that there was enough motivation on both sides of the market to to move. And I and in hindsight, I I, I just don't think there was. Yeah, I think the key thing that I I think is relevant to everything is just just pick your team carefully. Like I've talked about this before, but like picking your co-founders or your business partners, critically important. Yeah. Picking the people you hire, critically important, but equally like choosing who you let fund the business and the path it takes, I think is, is critically important if, because they, these are relationships that you can't get out of. Like they're, they're, it's, it's, they're permanent and, and yeah. often having, the not quite work out influences the outcome as well as the amount of fun you can have along the way. So I think totally. like now, like with Evergen, I'm so grateful for our team and particularly one guy who's like the other half of me and that he's good at all the stuff that I don't like doing. He lets me do what I like doing. Like without him in Evergen, like it wouldn't be what it is now. And similarly without, without our shareholders all doing, doing their bit, like it, life would be different so yep. I'm, I'm very grateful and it's all about people and i think people make the world go round. i think people should give before they get like and if anyone ever wants help or advice about anything like i'm i'm available i'm time poor but like just hit me up and i'm keen to help because life is difficult and it should be challenging and we should all be trying to do like great things whatever that might mean for us or for you so yeah just try and try and have fun it's the one value at evergen that we feel like we don't use as much as the other three, which is like, enjoy the ride. Like yeah. it's difficult, sure. But like, you're going to have fun while you're, while, while you're struggling. So like yeah. try and remember to kind of take a deep breath and enjoy life. Thanks mate. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for agreeing to catch up today, mate. I mean, we could go for hours. There's so much I'd love to unpack, but mate, thank you again for, for agreeing to catch up and where can people follow along? on your journey linkedin the best place or linkedin's probably the best place and like evergen is pretty visible so like anything anywhere you like but linkedin's probably the best place for me beautiful thanks ben good to chat mate thanks josh appreciate it hi there thanks so much for tuning in i hope you enjoyed the episode as much as i did don't forget, if you'd like some help growing yourself, your team, or your business even faster, head over to my website, www.coachignite.com for more resources. Or book in a call and we'll map out a plan together for you to move forward with confidence. Don't forget also to hit the subscribe button so you get notified about future episodes. Take care, my friends, and see you again soon.